Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and top leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. And welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. And boy, we have several big thinkers in here for you today. We talk about a variety of things. Depending on what comes up, uh, left or right, we have Amalia Moreno Damgard. Hello, Steve. <laughs> and the middle child is Bob Hest, a painter and, and much, much more, I'm sure. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's about it. Okay. <laughs> and we know more, a uh, lot more about uh, Christina Helen Coulton because she's the executive director of Norway House. Yeah. And you're Norwegian. Yes. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Okay. Well, let's start out. If you can give a, just a bit of a story about how you got where you are. Uh, now, Amalia, I know you have a, a rather broad background, including being a banker. And now you're doing a variety of things, including being a chef, the Latin gourmet. So if you can tell me a little bit how you got from one to the other. Wow. Long story, but a short version of yeah, that is... Yeah, short version. <laughs> <laughs> After spending almost 20 years in international banking, business development, I decided to take a break from banking. Uh, food and culture have always been my passion. I born and raised in Latin America. Uh, it made sense to me that to pursue my purpose, to pursue my passion. So I started my business, Amalia Latin Gourmet, about 15 years ago. And uh, this is what I've been doing for, for a while. Uh, I wrote a book. I'm on the second one, and I speak. Uh, I do a lot of uh, demonstrations. Uh, I am a consultant for food companies, and I also founded Women Entrepreneurs of Minnesota in the process. It's a 501c6 nonprofit, fostering right. women entrepreneurship through leadership and mentoring. Gosh, well, you're doing everything but banking now. <laughs> That's correct, That's but good. it has been helpful to have that background because it's a very strong business background that is helpful no matter where you go. Well, a lot of people uh, even begin to define culture by looking at food. I know, uh, let's see, some of the Norwegian food favorites, uh, Lefse. Oh, yeah, Lefse is a good one. and uh, Ludafisk? Ludafisk, yeah. Maybe. Uh, the, Maybe. All the elves. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, you're, you're actually from Norway, which yeah. is opposed to a lot of the Minnesotans. They say I'm Norwegian, but they actually they're born in, in the Midwest <laughs> here. And it's always kind of funny because the Norwegians landed, what, about the 19th century? Yes. And yeah. so they kind of picked that as Norway, Norwegian culture. Yeah. And then all these people come over in, like, the 21st century and in, is there any kind of a cultural gap between what they did 150 years ago and what they're doing now? Well, I think we're, we're certainly trying to showcase more of what Norway is today versus uh, the Rusamaling and the Ludafisk and the Lefse that we had uh, back then when they came from Norway. Can you, uh, are there Minnesotans that speak Norwegian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do they, yeah. The, is it archaic or is it like modern? Uh, it's a, it's an old version of Norwegian, um, but there's a lot of Norwegians that have moved here as well that are Norwegians like me that speak no speak Norwegian. Speak proper Norwegian. Speak proper, yeah. And speaking of Norwegian, <laughs> Bob Hest, and and I have not met you before, Bob, but I understand you're a painter, right? How did you get? A, and and you also have a background in music. I was uh, I was lucky to do t two things. I, I've I've worked in music for a long time. I um, managed a band for a while, and then I had a company where we wrote music for television commercials. Boy, that's great. What band did you manage? Oh, it was a band called The Wallets. Well, that's famous. That's uh, You're legendary. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I had moved to Minneapolis, and I saw The Wallets playing at a David Hockney show at The Walker, and I'd been in town for maybe two weeks, and I looked at these guys, and I said, I'm going to work with these hmm. these fellows. And then I did. You came, you saw, you conquered. Well, I'd never seen anything quite like them. And they were they were quite uh, wonderful musicians and pretty good guys. So, Where did you come here from? 
Oh, I lived in Seattle for a while. I was just uh, out there, uh, you know, doing a young guy's you know, move away for a while. And, and I worked for an arts organization there and painted and, and uh, painted houses and did all the things that one does. The big nut. You're not talking murals. You're talking about. I painted 7-Elevens. Thank you very much. I had a big contract with it. Worked out very well. Well, that's good. I think the wages are higher for those kinds of jobs. I don't know. Not sure. I can't remember. Do, but do you do you sell paintings? I mean, I try to, and yes, I do. I sold two yesterday. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Can I ask what price range you're in? Are you? No. <laughs> we have some at Norway House right now. Yes, oh, we okay. do. Well, there's a good segue. Where can I see these paintings? Well, at Norway House, uh, there's a show right now. Um, it'll be there until the end of October, and it's a. Uh, I have 15 new paintings. And then I've also, with the assistance of Navab Brothers here in Minneapolis, made uh, rugs out of my the designs of my paintings. They turned your paintings into rug design. Yeah. And then we, um, we made patterns. We sent them to India. They're all hand-knotted, wool and silk, and they're quite pretty. Wow, that's Beautiful. interesting. One of the first guests we had on this show... Uh, uh, formed a company called Alice Riot, where they take artworks and make uh, women's clothing out of them. Oh, really? Kelly yeah. Trailer uh, launched that. Huh. I see her. that uh, trend um, that has been developing for a few years. I have some friends that are painters, artists, and that are creating uh, women's clothing, um, cushions for living rooms, uh, pieces for the wall, and so on. So it seems to me that it's a, it's a natural extension of what you already do. It's great. Yeah, I I had nothing to do with it except that Farzan Navab asked me if I would, and I said, sure. <laughs> Dude, that's the kind of cooperation they need. Yeah. Well, we, were, we were talking on the way in how it's just it's so much easier to say yes Well, to most things. That That's that's true. Things uh, uh, proceed along more rapidly that way. Yeah. Saying no kind of bogs things down. It really does, and you end up doing it anyhow, right? Right. So, so now... Are you? I've, I've heard of. Um, gosh, there was a famous singer in the fifties. I'm not sure what grade of heroin he was on, but he would see bubbles when he sang, and so he would try to to reach the right note. He would see a certain colored bubble up here somewhere, and, and then down. Oh, that's um, interesting. You have that kind of what I think it's called synesthesia, right? Where you, you not not see color. I don't see, see, see no. <laughs> I don't you, no. You don't paint music. No, I don't paint music. Oh man. <laughs> I thought we could have a breakthrough here. My job really was to say I like it or I don't like it. Stop or go. Hey, well, that's that's good, too. Yeah, it worked out well. I want to be one of the naysayers. <laughs> Always plenty of naysayers, but it's just often a yay-sayer. Hmm. Well, in, in visual art, Amalia, isn't cooking half presentation? It's, it's the way it looks, whether it looks good. Absolutely, and there is a close connection uh, with artists all kinds of artists, even music, even uh, any kind of art form, whether you're a sculptor or a painter. Um, part of the training that I have received in the past is through the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. I remember that uh, when my son was in grade school, they had this uh, program, and I don't know if they still do, but uh, it was called Art Masterpiece. And I took it as an opportunity to uh, learn more about art. I had received art you know, through school, through college, uh, classes and then um, when I went to Le Cordon Bleu and became a chef, I saw this as an opportunity to expand the way that I communicate my food to people. Because absolutely, you're right, uh, food is very visual, uh, but having the ability to explain it to people in an artistic way, it is indeed an art form. And when I look at a piece of art, it helps me describe food. Boy, well, that, that, that's interesting. I mean. Um When you, I know that from being in, working in magazines, food is also very difficult to photograph properly. So there's a, a secondary art on that. Do, do you paint uh, bowls of fruit and things like that? Do you paint food? I mean, it, let's make a circle here. Well, I have. I think there's probably been some food in a painting, but I've never painted the bowl of uh, anything. Apples? No, I don't think I have. No. Okay, well, we're going to do something kind of uh, <laughs> really great for an audio medium. Can you describe some of your paintings? 
Um, no. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I have to, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to sell any if we can't, you know, well, there, here you go. Show? I think there's, um, I've painted a lot of paintings that have been very influenced by, by how I grew up. And I made a comment the other day to someone that I'm doing paintings that I did the drawings for when I was six. So wow. it's, these are images of animals, of the places I grew up in, the places I used to tramp around with when I was a little boy. And uh, so I, I've always done the same thing. Uh, I, I expand those things, but the, the basis of my work is, is how I grew up. It's what I know. So you don't need to find your inner child. You just need to find your old child's drawings. People tell me, quit being a child. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> a, that's the opposite of all the Zen masters. Here. And we them. have some similarities here yeah. uh, because a lot of what I do, my core, my purpose is centered uh, in my childhood, in my growing up in uh, Guatemala, cooking with my grandmother, cooking uh, with my mother who were excellent um, cooks. And what I do today is deeply connected to that, whether I am speaking uh, to a group or when I write articles, for example, and I have recipes connected to them. Um, I oftentimes think back to the times when I was enjoying that particular dish with my grandmother or when I was helping her make that particular dish. And so for me, it's really, really easy to talk about food if I connect it to my background, to my childhood, to my upbringing in uh, Guatemala. Gosh, well then, uh, we'll start with you then. Describe some of your food. So uh, my core is Guatemalan, and from there I have expanded to Latin American cuisine. My core is deeply ingrained in, in everything I do. We'll, we'll pick out one of your favorite dishes and... and so I was just at the World of the Latino Cuisine, uh, which I, uh, this is the second time I was there in New Jersey last week. And I presented what I call two-star dishes from my home country. And one of them is called pollo con crema y loroco. And the other one is called um, arroz con chipilín. And the first one is a chicken dish uh, with a flour bud and cream. And the second one is a rice with a... Uh, leaf, very de delicate, uh, aromatic leaf. Uh, both of those are native uh, to the Central American region, or I, I should say to the Mesoamerican region. Mm. So those are, you know, two star dishes that I made because they connect me to my childhood. They connect me mm. specifically to my grandmother. Well, I'm, I'm getting hungry here listening <laughs> to your childhood. Well, well, Bob, you never did finish a description of a painting. We know it's from your childhood. So stick figures? No. You went beyond I was that. quite good as a child. <laughs> I could really draw the We're figure. A, a prodigy. I know. I worked really hard. Uh, <laughs> I've always liked to draw. And, um, and I always, when I was a little kid, uh, there were a few boys that would sit on top of Terry Downer's garage and draw. And we would draw. The, the drawings had to be perfect. And we would copy comics. Hmm. And... Terry Donner was the better than high, me. High art. Well, I suppose you could say it was. But we learned how to draw the figure. We just taught ourselves by drawing for hours and hours and hours on top of the garage. I don't think Terry Donner's mother knew we were on top of the garage, <laughs> but we were. We're out painting the garage. Yeah. Well, that's good. So we'll just pick one. I'm still waiting for a description of one work. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the, okay, the, the dreaming of it. Oh, uh, Why don't you do Daisy? that? How about the Daisy one? Okay, well, we have an art She's, critic here. Uh, no, I think you should. No. Why don't you describe it? It might be easier for you. <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, I, they're all very um, fantastical, is what I would describe them, and whimsical, and uh, uh, just uh, extremely colorful. And uh, but, but I'm saying, what color? Oh, reds and blues and greens. Now we're talking. Yellow. Very bright, very bright colors. No <laughs> muted. As a child would <clears throat> Nothing somber. No, there's nothing somber in these paintings at all. Okay. Zero. Wow. Um, they're very bright colors. and But now I'm working on some new paintings right now that are all black and white. So, Are, are you depressed? I'm, as a matter of fact, thanks for mentioning it. <laughs> no, 
Not noticeably. Well, you don't, now that you're grown up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that. I'm not sure. Okay, well, you're doing a job. Well, uh, Christina, uh, people probably confuse you with the college in Northfield, right? Because <laughs> last name is Carlton. Yeah, that's my, my husband's name. So okay, it's, so uh, you have to, what's your maiden name? Johansson. Oh, well, see, that's Yeah, it's very Norwegian. Yeah, my, my, my uh, mother-in-law is actually from Guatemala. Wonderful. Yes. Have and to talk. Yes, yes. All these connections. Now, you, um, I was amazed. I mean, I should say, first of all, we're, we're kind of collaborating or partnering with Norway House. We have an event coming up there this Wednesday. Yeah, on, a, on the 3rd. Uh, major event. We just confirmed that Mayor Fry will be there. Oh, nice. To welcome everybody. So we're going to envision. Maybe you can be there, Bob. Envision what, if, if they had an innovation festival in the Twin Cities, what would it look like and how would you get involved? So that's kind of a, a half-day conference on that. I don't have to answer that, do I? Just I can think about it. We can make it up. Okay. Make, just, I will just definitely say, go. Oh, to, oh, I'm going to put that on the top of my agenda. No, so it's going to be in the third. I'll, I'll be there. Yeah, okay. there. good. I'll be there. Yeah. It's done. Mark that down. Yeah. Don't have to. She'll <laughs> remind me. One to six. I'll, I'll get a call. But, Are you going to come? So, <laughs> I, I plan to be there. I'll be driving the mayor over. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, Christina, you get to see a lot of different things in the Norway House. I mean, I hadn't heard of it before um, before last year yeah. or earlier this year, and it's amazing little building right on East Franklin. And you walk in, and there's a be- beautiful hall that's actually an art gallery filled with paintings by this Bob uh, Hest fellow. But what else do you get to do that you enjoy at, at Norway House? Uh, yeah, I, I tell people that no day is the same. Every day is different. And that's what makes this job so much fun. And I get to represent Norway, which is my home country. And something that I've done since, for, you know, from uh, as I was a little girl, I, we moved around with my father, who was a Norwegian diplomat. Mm-hmm. And in each country we were in, we always represented Norway. So I'm still doing it to today and here in Minnesota. And that's what makes this job so special for me. But uh, Norway House has... We've been in that location for only three years, so it's quite new. We've been a nonprofit since 2004, and had uh, have programs and uh, events. But it's until you know we had that building, the big blue building on on Franklin Avenue. Uh, we really flourished, and people. Did, Bob, did you help paint their building? No, but I would have painted it exactly <laughs> that color. Oh. Yeah. It would have. I would have. It, <laughs> It's a yeah. wonderful organization, yeah. and and a wonderful staff. Mm-hmm. I've yeah, never seen fun staff to work with. Yes, the, the staff is ab- is stunning. A bunch of really smart people doing good work. Well, well thank you, Bob. The, the variety of <laughs> it's May true. Day, I was invited there last uh, May for a Finnish May Day celebration, which yeah. lo and behold, twenty three and Me told me I'm part Finnish, so I had to. I was compelled to go. Mm-hmm. Was finding my roots. Yeah. And so what they do, they, they're they silly, aren't they, though, those fins? <laughs> well, I have to be careful on, 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 on the air. <laughs> well, they're silly in a good way. Yes, silly in a good way. Um, but no, it's, it's, we have events from all types of organizations uh, that host uh, programs and panel discussions. And, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all, all over the – we have cookbooks and books, book signings. Good and know. Yeah, absolutely. So Are it's you any, open to all kinds of groups? Yes. They don't have to be Norwegian? No, 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 no not I, at all. Like I say, I'm more we have German events and – yeah. And you're – by marriage, you're, you're uh, uh, Danish, right? Yes. So that's Scandinavian. Yep, What's that's that close there? enough. <laughs> and the great thing about uh, Norwegians, according to our president, is that that's where we want all of our immigrants to come from. Right, it was singled out as the ideal yeah. source <laughs> for for foreign people to uh, invade our shores. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Swedes would agree, but go ahead. <laughs> well, my Swedish ancestors would say, "Watch out for those Norwegians now." So, anyway. Well, I think most families are are, or I shouldn't say most, but lots of Scandinavian families are, are both Norwegians and Swedish. Oh, mixed and, marriages. Oh, absolutely. And if if my family was a typical. There is a constant kind of humorous bickering that goes on between who's best. <laughs> okay, we're going to continue that bickering in a moment. Uh, maybe we'll even argue about it off the air. We'll, All right. We'll be right back to Synapse Think Tank of the Air right after this. Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. 
And we're back. I'm Steve LeBeau, host of Synapse Think Tank of the Air. And we have uh, three delightful guests today. We have Amalia Moreno-Damgard, which Damgard, that's the uh, the Danish part. That is right. And we have uh, Bob Hest, uh, who, what, you're from Fargo? Did Near, you mention I, that before? Well, we were, no. The greater Fargo area? Yes, I'm from Holly, Minnesota. Oh, Holly. Okay, so you are a Minnesotan. Well, yes, but my family is from all, it's from both sides of the river, so. Okay. I'm kind of Dakota guy, too. <laughs> both sides of the river. And then across the big stream mm-hmm. uh, from Norway, we have uh, Christina Helen uh, Carlton, the executive director of the Norway House. And um, it's, we were talking early, even before the program, about how culture, uh, I remember when I was a kid, culture was not a, something that you saw in an opera house. And I think the turning point, well, you're roughly my age, uh, Bob, that, that uh, when the movie's roots came, all of a sudden people tried to uh, do their, uh, their genealogies and find out something about their ancestors and also learn languages. Before roots in the 1970s, if you learn any, any other language, you're being un-American. But then that switched. Is that, do you have any recollection of that, or were you too busy... Uh, no, that um, I don't think I I don't think that was the view where I grew up. Uh, okay. They actually offered um, Norwegian in my high school. They did. Mm-hmm. And progressive. I don't know. We didn't know, think we were very progressive, but I. Uh, it's just a fact. And they offered. This is only a town of twelve hundred people, but it, it did have a good school system, and I think they offered German and French as well. Those are the the standard, but Nor- well, that's from the Red River Valley. That's probably the most Norwegian part of the the Midwest, right? Um, I couldn't tell you about the rest of the Midwest, but yes, it's very Norwegian, yeah, Swedish, yeah, heavily Norwegian. So, and Christina, I have to say, your English is pretty good. They must uh, you must have started in kindergarten. Yeah. So in 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 Norway, we we start English. Um, we start learning English from first grade. So I mean, it's it's and all our TVs in English. It's just with subtitles. Um, so it's uh, it's everybody in Norway speaks English. Hmm. It's uh, very common. And yeah. do you speak other languages as well? I, I speak a few um, French and Italian from having lived there, and a little bit of um, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty good. How about you, Bob? How many languages do you speak? Kind of one, <laughs> kind of. Well, I think you and I are in the same monolingual boat. <laughs> we're a true American. And Amalia, how many do you speak? Well, I grew up uh, speaking English because it is a requirement in primary school in, in Guatemala. I was fortunate to attend private school. So uh, besides English, uh, which was required, you also had the option to take French. So I took French for a long time. I don't tell people that I speak it. Uh, but because it's so close to Spanish, mm-hmm. I can I can read it and I can understand it. But because I haven't practiced it for a long time, I I don't really have the vocabulary that I have in English. Right. Um, but, but 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 Spanish was that your mother tongue? Spanish is my uh, native language, and I grew up in a multicultural country, uh, just like the U.S. But it's also uh, multi ethnic. Uh, where there are some 23 indigenous uh, Mayan languages spoken throughout. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Spanish in uh, Guatemala has uh, some undertones of, of Mayan uh, languages uh, mixed in with the language. Some of the words um, are um, close to the Mayan uh, tongue and may start with uh, sh- or uh, an X is also a, that sound, depending on how it's used. Uh, but, you know, uh, believe it or not, I am don't, don't speak any Mayan, but I am familiar with the Mayan language from exposure. You know, you go to the uh, markets, you go to a school, and you may have a classmate who speaks uh, one or two uh, Mayan tongues uh, besides uh, Spanish. Hmm. And for them... Spanish is their second language. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I've talked to people uh, other than myself that they can detect when someone is speaking Spanish which country they're from. I can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and the, but American, well, let, let's use monolinguals like, like Bob and I. All the Spanish might sound the same. So, uh, tell me some of the, the variety of, of um, people tend to just put you all into one 
you're a Latino. Yes. That's just the bucket. You know, in my studies of culture and, and my mission, the mission of my business is to uh, help companies uh, develop a broader understanding and appreciation of Latin cultural nuances uh, through healthy gourmet cuisine. Uh, oh, so the food is just an entree. It is, yes, it's a platform uh, to, to educate people. And my mission came specifically one time someone asked me, uh, this is back in Kansas City, Amalia, where are you from? And I said, I am from uh, Guatemala. And then they said, where, where is that in Mexico? And I go, oh, my goodness, I have to do something about this someday. And that's how my, my mission uh, was, was born. But within the nuances, uh, not only is the nuances in culture and cuisine, but it's also the nuances in language. So someone from Mexico, someone from Guatemala, someone from Argentina, someone from Cuba, someone from uh, elsewhere in Latin America and even Spain, we all have that mother tongue Spanish, root Spanish in, in our base. But if you are in Guatemala, we all have distinctive colloquialisms. We all have distinctive words that we use for a particular um, item or thing. Uh, so uh, we also have distinctive accents. And that's how we can tell from how who is from where uh, by those nuances. So someone from uh, Cuba speaks with a certain sound or with a certain uh, accent, and someone from Guatemala speaks with a different accent. We are able to tell that. Why? Because we are used to You're listening feeling, to each other. Like someone that listens to jazz can tell the difference between, but, you know, but there might be, and yeah, and all that stuff. There might be times when we're talking about a particular item, and I, I'm thinking uh, the word uh, swimsuit, for example, may have a different, maybe a different word in my country and in other countries. Sometimes it might be a five or six uh, Latin Americans in one room, and we're talking, we're, we're having a conversation. And at some point, we may ask each other, what is that? And specifically because of that, those nuances of, of language. So a few, few little gaps. And then there's this different slang, you know. So there are a lot of nuances in, in language besides just the accent. Hmm. Well, in uh, Norway, what misperceptions do people have of Norway? Uh, do they have any? I assume they have some. I mean, thinking that Guatemala is part of Mexico is bit of a faux pas. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, what do people think about? Nor well, you, you, you probably, what do you think of Bob of, Nor of Norwegians and what we do in Norway? I've, well, I've, I can only go to my own family. Yeah. And they're always right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a high degree of accuracy. Oh, I don't know about accuracy, but they're always right. <laughs> high degree of stubbornness and obstinacy. Well, I suffer from it as well, you see. Well, of always being right. Huh. Yeah. Well, one of the things I heard during the Olympics, I think Norway won. Did they win we all did the win. medals? Yes, we did. did. Yeah, we had the most medals in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're a country of five million people. Such a tiny, I mean, that's the, because that's you did the, it. You did it correctly. That's the population of Minnesota. But what I heard was someone said, oh, one of the athletes said, well, we play for fun. And that's the true. competition just gets piled onto that rather than the other way around. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. uh, they, yeah. so what is your gold medal in? Mine personally, or <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you have a sport? Uh, I do. Yeah, I play tennis and uh, golf. Okay, mm -hmm. so not yeah. a lot of gold medals in the summer sports. More the winter. Sports. We're very much in winter sports in Norway. Yeah, uh, many people say we were born with skis on our feet because mm. we ski to school and. Did you actually do that? I did that as a kid. Yeah, I skied wow. on my cross country skis to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, now that sounds quaint. Yes. <laughs> I, I guess if I had to depict Norway not having been there, it's lot, very beautiful, a lot of fjords. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, what do you have? Oil money there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did find the oil in uh, the late 1960s. But so yeah. that's that yeah. helps out. That, the, that the changed. Uh, that changed Norway. And then my wife. Oh, was did it really? Yes, it did. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> and so, and my wife is Japan, and Japan and Norway are the only two uh, countries that still hunt whales, as far as I know. So, what's whale meat like? <laughs> I've actually tasted some. Uh -huh. I was in Lofoten uh, in northern Norway uh, in 2014, and where we we had some whale, and uh, yeah, it's quite tasty. Did they fermented uh, whale? Yeah, yeah. 
old school, yeah. like a Ludafisk version. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, yeah. They have that in Iceland. You know, there's really? a Scandinavian heritage in Iceland. Sure. So there is a, a heritage of foods from, but this is old food from from Denmark mostly because it used to be a colony of Denmark. Right. Um, Fermented on the way. Fermented whale and fermented oh. other things. Well, I, I had whale in Japan, and it's kind of fatty, kind of a, you know, like pork belly or something like that. That's the way I would describe it. Yeah. But anything yeah. else? To t- I think we've covered all there is about Norway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you'd say fish belly. Fish belly, that's right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's in Norway. We, I mean, we're, we're outside. We grow up... Uh, Going on walks and being in the mountains—I mean, it's just part of part of our nature and our part of our culture. Hmm. It's uh, every Saturday and Sunday you go on a hike, and you bring a, a one of these chocolate bars that kind of look like Kit Kats, mm. um, called Kick Lunch, and I mean, and oranges, and you bring some water, and you go out into the local trails and and walk around. It's very common, and almost everybody does that in in Norway. Hmm. Are you adjusting to life in Minnesota? Well, we don't have any mountains here, but um, it's a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of trails. We do have a lot of trails and a lot of uh, land of 10,000 lakes. So it's, we get the water here. Hmm. And I should describe for our listening audience, you're blonde. What color are your eyes? (laughs) They're they're blue. They're blue. Okay. So (laughs) kind of a stereotype there. I was, um, one of my jobs, I was traveling around the state visiting schools and we stopped at a school in uh, Clearwater County, which is up in that greater Red River area, all the students were blonde with blue eyes. It's as if they were related. That's where I was born, Clearwater yeah. County. Clearwater yeah. County? Okay, so we're getting home. So is, I know you're, what, did you used to be blonde? Um, no. <laughs> I was gray hair at th- when I was six, and thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> okay, everything goes back to, to the childhood, doesn't it? I know, it's terrible. So, um, uh, uh, did you have a sense then, uh, growing up, of a, a strong Norwegian heritage, or was it normal, or did it was just it? well, everybody in my family. I mean, and most of all my grandparents all spoke both Swedish and Norwegian. They did. Mm-hmm. And my dad spoke Norwegian, and he was the only member or person of his generation that did, and that was only because the the school that he went to was. He stayed with his grandmother because it was closer mm. to their farm. And the name of the school, I have to say, it's the most prettiest name of a school ever. It was called the Wide Awake School. Really? Yeah. Isn't was, that great? Was that an accurate uh, nomer? I have no idea. <laughs> but he was a good uh, good guy and uh, bright, so it, it must have worked. <laughs> Wide Awake students only. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. We're talking here with uh, Malio Moreno Damgard. Bob Hest and uh, Christina Helen uh, Carlton uh, from Norway House. Uh, Bob, how did you get into painting? You I, al- drawing I always did. I always did. In the garage? Yep, yeah, not in the garage. On the floor uh, with typewriter paper and doing all that. My brother and I would draw. And um, I always, I was the kid that did that. You know, Oh, Bob draws. That's that's his deal. So, did you go to college at a certain point? Yeah, yeah, art? absolutely. Yeah, I did, and I studied at Morehead State University. It was a fabulous program there. Um, had a very, had a um, a European academic approach to it. It was it was demanding, and uh, you really didn't get a vote until you were probably a junior, and that was just fine. You realize when you become older that that was the way it should be. Uh, when you're a kid, you think you know everything, and you, right. you get older, you realize you didn't know a thing. But um, it had a very good program, and I owe everything to it. And um, do you teach art at all? No, no, I don't. Um, I've, I was going to teach art, and I and I went and uh, student taught, and then realized that. If I taught, I would never do art ever again. It would consume me. The well, teaching would. Well, they and, have that adage, you know, if you can't do it, teach. Well, I don't know. I agree but with that, but it, around. If you teach, you I, I don't. Do I don't think that was the case. I just thought I would just be a teacher. I I wouldn't do this, so I didn't. I was a good teacher. I liked it, mm-hmm. but 
I didn't think I should do it. It's time consuming. Also, you put on a different part of your brain to do that. Yeah, sure do. Yeah, where we are hosting a wine and paint night at Norway House. I'm looking forward to that. That's where Bob is. I am the the group. Yes, we're gonna yes. It's gonna be self portraits, and I'm gonna be a tough taskmaster. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good to know. (laughs) While we're talking to you, Bob, I have one question. The you were with an organization, a business that wrote music. For tell me about that. Um. Yeah, um, my business partner and myself uh, were in business for 25 years, and we had studios in Minneapolis and in Los Angeles, and we wrote music for all the ad agencies in the country and some in Europe. And um, and then you're going to say, well, which is the one that you remember? Yeah. And it is probably the most obnoxious one that you do remember, okay. and that would be Eric the Bike Man which people tend to remember. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know that one. Just pretend you did. Oh, go along with the story. Bike? You did that? Yeah, remember that? Oh. <laughs> well, I, 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 I have a sense of, um, you know, because I'm a little bit both Swedish and Norwegian, so imagine all the talent that, that lies there latent. But uh, I, I've imagined I could do a lot of things, but the thing that I feel so difficult that I couldn't do is write some music because as soon as I get two notes, it reminds me of some other song and I can't, well, that was the danger. Huh? That was always the danger. That as I would walk into the writers' rooms, and say, um, "That reminds me of the name of that song," and then they would say, "No, it's not." And I'd said, "Then I would say, but it reminds me of it, so therefore it is. You have to change it because you don't want to get sued." Yeah, that's so you had to be very, very careful, and it's unintentional because there's so many natural ways to write something that are all very similar. But you can't do that, so you must be careful. And then you wrote them, they had to be, what, 30 seconds, 60 seconds? What was your... 30 and 60, yeah, some 15. And they all had to be very precise. Hmm. Boy, and you did it for 25 years. You must have enjoyed that. I liked it a lot. It was really fun. You got to meet all these tremendous players. That was the best part, bringing in other musicians, the singers, and watching their talent. Because they were just, I mean, Minneapolis is full of wonderful, wonderful musicians, singers. It's just terrific. Hmm. So every day you'd be these just really brilliant people. You were jamming out. I would just sit in the corner and go like, (laughs) who are these people? (laughs) But then they're done in a minute. I know. And then you do another one. Another one. Take two. Wow. So um, speaking of, I heard that that cookbooks, you cannot copyright a recipe. Is that right, Amalia? That's correct. But what you can do is make it your own. So you add, a, what, a flourish, a little pimento here? Well, for me, it has been more of an art form. Um, historically in Latin America, uh, up till recently, there haven't been uh, a lot of books written from a professional standpoint. Um, the way books are written here in in the U.S. and probably in Europe and elsewhere, uh, they they follow a certain pattern. Uh, a lot of the books that were uh, published uh, early on in my home country were published by home cooks by anyone uh, who is a good cook, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful because you know that is the way to preserve the recipes. But if you are not a cook, it's really difficult to follow that recipe. If you're a cook, all you need are other ingredients and to remember the flavors. And if you have tested that dish before, you have it in your tongue and you have it in your head. Uh, So the same recipe that may be, um, I'm going to pick paella, you know, came from Spain and it went all over Latin America and now it's all over the world. But every country in Latin America has their own version of paella. You go to every household in my home country, and everyone has their own version of paella. So you have the ability to make a recipe in any way you want. And you are absolutely right. You cannot copyright recipes because, you know, they're just out there. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to, to, to grab the ingredients and to either follow on the footsteps of who was your teacher as you were growing up, your mother, your grandmother, or if you do it professionally, you know, who did you learn the recipe from? So a good idea for Bob would be to do a, a cookbook and then paint 
the what what the food looks like. Yeah, and you know the Minneapolis Institute of Arts has uh, has had uh, food. What is it? Food in Bloom or uh, it's, uh, some sort of an event uh, every every year where flower there's a in flower in bloom, uh, in bloom where there is a art in bloom. Thank you. Um, where there is a piece of art and then you create a, a piece of art attached to it, but certainly you can extend that to food. Okay. Well, so you're looking for any gigs mm-hmm. after this uh, Norway house thing folds? You know, somebody calls me up and wants me to do that, you know. <laughs> we should talk. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, Christina, how did yeah. you get to know Bob and, and book him at your Norway house gallery? Well, well that's actually our, our director of gallery, um, and exhibitions, Mark uh, Max Stevenson, and uh, he's the one that actually brought Bob to Norway House. So he's so yep. you've known uh, Max for several years. And Max is a <laughs> wonderful guy, and he just told me to, to like not talk too much, <laughs> and I would be fine. What a wise man! <laughs> we'll be right back with uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Air, uh, Max. Stone. Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We're thinking left and right. Doing more creating here than thinking we have. Creating food, music, art, and... Culture. Culture. Well, what's what's your your hobby, Christina? I mean, what do you do? Oh, I've I got mean, two little children. <laughs> I don't have a hobby right now. <laughs> no, but it's work and... They are your hobby. <laughs> That's my hobby. <laughs> they are my hobby. Well, then you get to your second childhood, right? When you work with kids and you, you think younger, I believe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hesitation. Well, Bob, do you have kids? I have a stepdaughter who's... Um, that, that I started being in the same house with her when she was in junior high. Okay. So, um, and she uh, actually introduced her to her, her husband. Really? And they both work for me in the music business, and now they do that as well. Uh, they're in the music business. Hmm. Well, that must be fun. I mean, did you make, uh, well, you worked for the Wallets. Did you meet a lot of big stars? You the instrumentalists that came in to do record your well i think you know i don't know about a lot of big stars but um we uh i mean there's so many people in this town that could they could play with anybody i mean with anybody and a lot of them have when they were especially younger um when you want to go on the road and when you don't want to go on the road anymore you just Oh, I got kids. I'm gonna stay home. Mm. But a lot of the guys that I know had worked with big guys and did all that. We did make one record though in in, in New Orleans with a guy named Alan Toussaint, who was kind of a big guy. I guess he just died a year or so ago. And a wonderful human being and a wonderful uh, songwriter and very good guy. So it was we were lucky to have met him, and so we went and recorded in. Uh, New Orleans did a record with him. Hmm. But that was kind of the big guy moment, I guess. Uh, and it's uh, that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, but but still so much fun to be in that creative atmosphere. So do you play music, uh, Molly? My dad um, was an OBGYN, and one of his hobbies was uh, to play the accordion. Hmm. So we were exposed to the accordion because of him and both my brother and I had a kind of like a group together when we were children. And I want to say we were five, six or seven years old. My brother would play the guitar and then I would sort of play the accordion. He he pretended to play. We learned to play the accordion by ear. Mm. We were not trained uh, by anyone. We never took any classes. Now, my brother did take some guitar lessons, but I remember there was a song called Yellow Bird, and I don't know if you know that song. Um, I know it like I know <laughs> the commercial. But it's, it's, it's an old song, okay. but it's, it's instrumental. And I learned how to play that song so well that it would make my grandmother cry. Really? And she would say, play that song for us with your brother, and he would, uh, he and I would, you know, do this for her, kind of like a mini concert. Hmm. 
So beyond that, um, I never pursued that. That wasn't my calling. That wasn't my passion. You peaked out when you were like 10. You know, probably I did because uh, it, that wasn't what really attracted me. I think that living with my grandmother for a long time because my parents got divorced was a blessing in disguise. The best play, the best thing that probably happened to me or the best thing that I think had happened to me because you don't know what you're going to become later on. In you know, Some people never know what they want to do in life. And she was such a good cook. I helped her all the time. It was a everyday routine that I was learning kitchen lessons for life. Mm. So when I was in banking, I cooked up a storm. I entertained regularly. And, you know, guess what? When I left banking... That was a natural thing for me. The food. My purpose, right? My purpose in life, life is food and culture. Right. And also uh, kind of passing on the lessons of how to become an entrepreneur. You started a nonprofit. You're a real Minnesotan. You started a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. One of the, I don't know, they say as many as we have lakes. Is it 10,000, 15,000? 10,000, yeah. So um, it's, we men, and could you... Women Entrepreneurs Association? Women Entrepreneurs of Minnesota is a 501c6 nonprofit uh, that fosters women entrepreneurship in the Twin Cities uh, through leadership, education, and mentoring. And um, our website is wemen.org, uh, and it's kind of like a play on words women, right? Sure. And wemen, wemen.org. And right now, um, we are putting together a fall forum on October 25th that is going to uh, be here at Cambria, right next, right right next door. Um, yeah, and we have a powerful uh, panel of speakers, uh, which is going to be emceed by Leah McLean, um, a TV news anchor from uh, TV5. One of the enemy channels, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a powerful keynote speaker, Dr. Arshel uh, Georgiou, and then three other great uh, panelists. And the theme is self-care, uh, caring for your number one asset, you. So it's gratitude, worthiness. But in this day and age in which, you know, we are all, many of us are entrepreneurs and and. I am running two two businesses, my uh, for-profit business, Amalia Latin Gourmet. I'm running this non-profit business. We're going crazy, going from place to place, from meeting to meeting, from conference to conference, from event to event. And, and one thing that we tend to miss is self-care oftentimes. It's so important to take care of ourselves, not only physically, but also mentally. So looking beyond the body and soul, we're looking at lifestyle. We're looking at uh, eating well. Why? Because if we can't function well, we cannot do our jobs well. Hmm. well. Well, Christina, do you see yourself as an entrepreneur, even though you're running a nonprofit? Did you help found it or were you involved in that? Well, actually, my, my father was the one that... Uh, so it's a some, family business. <laughs> family business. Uh, yeah, so he, when he came here, he was here for about four years uh, back in 2000. And uh, he, he said, uh, I see a beautiful Swedish institute on Park Avenue. Where's the Norwegian one? So that was the start of Norway House. So it's so so it, by it, Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good. A little competitive. A little competitive. There. Yeah. So it's uh, so that's, <laughs> and we're only you know about two minutes away from the Swedish Institute. Call a little Nordic hub there with, also the Danish Institute not too far away oh, either. Yeah. Great. So. Now, now, you heard uh, Molly talking about the the importance of balancing your life with your work. I mean, do you? Oh, I can resonate with that. That's. But you know, I didn't speak about balance. There is no, there is no such thing as balance. Okay, you know, what, what word did you use? Um, self-care. Self-care. Self-care, because there is not such thing as balance. There is okay. not. So for me, the way it works is, you know, everything is intertwined. Personal life with business, you know, I work all the time. And thank goodness we have cell phones now that I can be in Timbuktu. I can be in Latin America. I can be... In my bedroom, I can respond to emails. I can make phone calls. I can participate in Skype uh, conferences and and so on. So life it, balance does not exist. But if you don't have balance, you fall over. 
You know, I think that you learn to to work in you know in the midst of things, and 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 that is one of the reasons you know one one of the reasons why we created or I founded Women Entrepreneurs of Minnesota is because this is goes back to 2000, 2007, before uh, the uh, movement that you see now. Uh, Which was movement? We have lots of uh, entrepreneurship empowerment. Okay. Uh, that was just beginning in 2007, and I saw that starting to happen. But I also, what I saw is that when I started my own business, there was not support for women entrepreneurs. There was hardly any. Beyond Noble, there was nothing else. I think Women Venture well, was there I, I, and I so on. I just heard of a story. <clears throat> a businesswoman I know uh, has to move her location, and she went to sign the lease, and the man said, uh, could I have your husband also co-sign that? <laughs> what is this? This is 2018. Yeah, wow. Well, they needed her, her husband to sign. He has nothing to do with their business. Well, he's, but he's just yeah. a man. That's all. Well, but this is also I would look at it from a different uh, angle. This is liability, right? It's uh, shared liability. Uh, so if you know, if we're talking from a collateral standpoint, you know, so it's not necessarily from a man's standpoint. Co-collateral. Yeah, but you know, we are living in different times now. Now you add women's entrepreneurship. Now to that, you add the Me Too movement. You add so many other things that are happening in the country, right? And it's all good. And so that balance does not exist. We just learn to, you know, uh, handle a lot of different things at the same time. And that's the nature of women, by the way. So is that is that right, Christina? Most women, <laughs> we are mothers. Yes. You know, I'm a mother. Well, I in, can't answer in, to that one. You know, uh, it's certainly multitask. We mm-hmm. learn how to multitask everything, but uh, it's uh, dangerous when we have everything at our fingertips with uh, cell phones, and mm-hmm. you know, you never, you're never, you're never off. There are more you know? ways to be multiple. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're just, you're always on the, yeah, you always and, have it with you. And you learn to take care of yourself. So you know, you l- learn to disconnect yourself from time to time when you need to. I uh, do that all the time. When I've had enough, I disconnect myself. You have to. Mm-hmm. How do you disconnect yourself? Turn everything off. Yeah, just turn Get everything away. off. And <laughs> Go outside on my deck and, you know, just listen to the birds and absorb the breeze and, you know, just read, you know. Read. Do read. something peaceful. Well, well, um, Bob, do you multitask? Men don't know how to multitask. Not really. Well, that's what I tell my wife. Don't it's ask true. Don't do more than one thing. I'm really good at one thing. I can dig the ditch. <laughs> Go dig the ditch. Dig the ditch with and total focus. Absolutely. You're Best in, ditch ever. You get you're in the zone. Probably, True. Hopefully the proper zone. Well, you know, I, I do. I I don't. No, I pretty much have to do one thing and then I'll do another thing, but I don't think I'm a very good multitasker. Hmm. Well, I agree. In fact, I read an article that said that if you, that they said that same thing. Women can multitask, men can't. And if you have a, a gender change, then that ability switches too. If you, if you, you're kidding me. Wow, I, <laughs> I love that. I read it. I re- <laughs> must I be true. Reading, must be it, true. So I'm pretty sure it's true. But yeah, if you if you become a woman, then you gain that talent, and if you become a man, you lose that talent. You lose that. <laughs> so that's just one of the things separating us. Boy, I have to mention too the the the, the women's movement, the Me Too movement. Boy, have, have you been listening to the uh, hearings going on in Washington, D.C. about mm-hmm. the uh, Interesting. Kavanaugh and all yeah. that stuff? It's powerful. It's well, really powerful. And it's for, for women to come out uh, that strong uh, in such a, um, what I consider deep, deeply personal uh, topic, it's got to be scary. These women are brave, and we need more women like that to do what they're doing. Out. And it's been a wave the last year or so. We've been having a, a flood of these accusations. What's... I mean, I don't know if you go back to Norway to keep tabs on what's going on there and current events, but is it part of the same sphere, the same fads? Oh, absolutely. We have that, too, in Norway. We have several women's movements, and I think it's going on worldwide. the world, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? I think it's empowering. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's wonderful. And it, what what's amazing is, is it happened so suddenly. I mean, you had kind of the, the shades pulled for decades and decades or probably centuries and centuries, and all of a sudden, man, it's a different world now. You know, I, I think it's been happening gradually. And, you know, 2007, 
I just picked that number because that's when I started Women Entrepreneurs of Minnesota. From then on, I think it started. We started seeing, you know, a gradual, you know, more uh, women in the uh, workforce. But now there are some forty-nine uh, percent uh, of Latina women starting businesses. Uh, and um, what, what, what does that mean? Forty-nine percent of of Latina women starting businesses in this in this country. Really? I mean, that's a that's pretty, huge percent. Yeah, yeah, that's a very big number. Uh, but you know that's so the, every other Latina woman in the country is starting a business. But you know, and, and, and you know, when, when we're talking Latina women, you know, we're talking multi generational, right? Uh, and we're talking uh, just like they're immigrants, they're Latina women that identify as Latina women that are not necessarily born and raised in. Uh, in the uh, United States, or it, they were not born in their uh, countries of origin. So I, I think that there is a lot of interest and in, in empowerment and in, in I can do this too uh, type attitude uh, that, you know, we feel that the fields that were dedicated to men historically, you know, they still are, right? This is still a man's world, you know, don't get me wrong. Because there are still a lot of things that then that we need to. Well, if you look at the composition we need to do. of Congress and all those things, it's it's pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Older yeah. white men. We had a commercial in Norway. Um, I think it was last year or so. Uh, there was uh, an, an interviewer, a reporter, asking uh, men, "So when did you decide to become a career man?" <laughs> and they all paused. All these CEOs of different companies in Norway and. <laughs> Nobody ever asks a man, <laughs> but they ask women. When did you, decide, you know? When did you decide to become a career woman? Uh, any any uh, observations, Bob? Yeah, um, I I've thought about this. Um, my mother went to a, a one room school, and she had the a much better education than did I. And I was, so I started thinking, why was it that my mother had a better education? And then I thought, okay, women were given the choice of two occupations other than being at home, and one was education, and the other was medicine. And I thought, huh, they got the best teachers in the whole world because all these women that wanted to be a teacher, of course, the best survive always. They had the best teachers of half the people that were born. It was so that's why she had a great education. Now it was kind of a backward compliment, I suppose, but nevertheless, that's why I think well, that, the schools were better. That's an interesting point because the, the all the top talent went into teaching or nursing. Pretty so much, you had like the the geniuses among women being being those occupations. Now, <laughs> it's crazy. Hey, let's be a banker. Let's uh, start a business. Yeah, <coughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it was a good thing. I'm just saying that was that's what happened. So there's a lot more uh, uh, role as the roles expand that uh, that uh, encourage yeah. women to enter. That's interesting. So it's yeah. You, there yeah. It was. <laughs> why is mom smarter than me? Oh, good. <laughs> that's why. Well, that's a good note. Uh, that was Bob Hest, and you can see his paintings right now at Norway House on uh, 913 East Franklin Avenue. That's right. Just uh, not too far from the river. That's right. So in the old Norwegian part of town. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you for being our guest, Bob, and also uh, Christina Helen Carlton from Norway House, the executive director, head honcho. What's Norwegian for head honcho? Oh, gosh, head honcho. Um, You're putting me on the spot here. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's head honcho. Head honcho. With with an accent. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll Uh, hold that thought. We'll come back to that. We'll do another program just on that. Yeah. And then uh, thank you, uh, Amalia Moreno-Damgaard, for joining us here today on Synapse Think Tank of the Year. Thank you for inviting me, Steve. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thanks to our, uh, our producers here, Dan Colhane and Dan Cook. Thanks. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa.
why. Why? If you why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.